Good morning, church. It is a blessing. Take the mic, Carla. It is a blessing for me to stand before you to read the Word of God today. He's allowed me to live this long. I had a birthday in December. Seven decades. Yes. We have a joke around the house that I'm 39 and holding, but I'm... We are continuing our study of the book of Hebrews this week with the beginning of chapter 3, 1 through 6. Over the last few weeks, we have heard the author of Hebrews argue the supremacy and sovereignty of Jesus over the supernatural authority and revelation of even angels. But today, we're going to discuss Jesus' place in the history of Israel, his relationship to the greatest hero of the Hebrew people, Moses. Therefore, holy brothers, you who, are sh you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory at the, as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope responsive reading all flesh is grass and all its glory like the flower of the field grass withers flower fades but the word of our God stands There's no way Carl is 70 and I'm 53. <laughs> For real? I mean, come on. <laughs> it is so good to be back with you over here in, uh, in the contemporary service today in Westminster Hall. Thank you for letting me be with you. My name is Bob Fuller and I'm the senior pastor here at First Presbyterian Church and I am just so glad to be among you today, especially as we are working our way through the book of Hebrews. This is one of my favorite books and I I've been listening to, uh, to the messages that you all have been hearing, and I'm excited to be with you today so that we can continue to talk about what God is doing and what he is showing us as he shows us time and time again that Jesus, his son, is greater than everything else. So let's, let's take a moment. Let's just turn to the Lord and let's pray before we break into our, our sermon today. Oh, Lord, we thank you for bringing us together today, and we thank you for the ways that you love us. We thank you for your word that opens to us your truth. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Since the beginning of this year, we have been studying the New Testament book of Hebrews, and we've learned that the people who first heard and read Hebrews were not actually converted pagans, but they were, they were probably converted Jews. They were people who were reared in the faith of Israel, but who now followed 
Jesus as Israel's Messiah. But we also know that at this point that there were some of them who were starting to waver. These former Jews were now persecuted Christians, and they knew what it meant to lose their family, to lose their property, to lose their freedom. They understood what it meant to pay a price for calling Jesus Christ Savior, to be rejected by family and friends for the sake of his name and to suffer for their faith. And we know that this community of Christians, this community of new Christians, was starting to ask themselves questions like, can we really trust him? Can we really believe him? Do we dare bet our lives on, on Jesus, on Jesus of Nazareth, on, on Jesus Christ? Do we dare take him seriously? And the plea, the plea of the author of Hebrews is this, don't give up. Don't fall back. Don't lose heart because Jesus is worth it. I know that the struggles right now are hard, and I know that the pain right now is real, and the temptations of this moment, they may seem okay, but whatever our suffering, whatever our temptations, whatever compromises we feel like we have to make to survive, we don't want to drift away. We don't want to drift away from the truth and the promises of God. We don't want to drift away from our salvation. It's not time to abort or to reconsider or to compromise our faith. No, now is the time to double down. This is the time that we have to take our salvation and our Savior seriously. And the whole argument up to this point, is really about trust. It's about trust. Whom do you trust and why? Whom do you trust in morals and ethics and matters of faith uh, in matters of life and death and moments of temptation? Who do you trust with your, your right now and your forever? Whom do you trust? And the author of Hebrews is telling us that we can trust Jesus because Jesus is the goat. That's right. In case you haven't heard this, people over 50, GOAT is the new acronym for greatest of all time. Now, I know that you love it when your senior pastor uses trendy terminology. I know it's a little bit cringy, like when... 50-year-old guy tries to wear like skinny jeans or something like that when your pastor tries to be cool, but I want you to know I am not your cool pastor. I am a dad joke in human form, and I am going to stick with this because even though I am not your cool pastor, and I, even though I am the dad joke in human form, I believe that there is something we need to understand here. We're sticking with it. Because this passage makes the case that Jesus is the greatest of all time. Now let's step back from the scripture for a second. It is, it is divisional playoff weekend NFL for all those of you who are NFL fans. Um, last weekend, of course, uh, the, the Buccaneers lost and one of the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, love him or hate him, you got you to gotta respect that many rings, is one of those people who, who we all recognize 
But, you know, who are the other greatest of all time? I mean, I think in this room in, in San Antonio, pretty safe to say Tim Duncan. For those of us who remember boxing in a certain time, Muhammad Ali. And I know this might generate a little bit of controversy, but the greatest of all time, the 70s Steelers or the 80s Cowboys? I don't know. <laughs> I could go on and on. And you know what the truth is? We don't all have to agree who is the greatest of all time in all those categories. I mean, is the greatest college football coach of all time Nick Saban or Bear Bryant? Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan? Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas? Franklin Delano Roosevelt or Ronald Reagan? And my favorite, Jimmy Page or Eddie Van Halen? <laughs> I, mean, come on, I mean, I know I'm dating myself, but again, cringy dad joke thing. I'd like to, as I was setting up that comparison, I realized this is kind of an old goat, new to goat sort of thing, too. <laughs> but, you know, all right, go ahead, let's, y'all play too. Who, who are some comparisons? Who are your greatest of all time? Anything, any category. Let me hear it. Federer. Who? Federer. Federer. Oh, Roger Federer. Okay, anybody else? Nadal. Who? Nadal. Oh, okay. Who else? As of this morning. As of, as of this morning. <laughs> anybody else? Oh. Y'all remember how much fun it was when Alex used to work here? <laughs> you forget that when I was examined by my last pre presbytery, one of the questions on the floor of presbytery is, was this, is barbecue a noun or a verb? <laughs> if you say it's a verb, you're wrong. All right, so that's enough of that. That was fun for a minute. But the truth is, you know, we, we, we talk about this, we have fun with it, we argue about who's the greatest of all time in all these different categories. And I'm sure that that's not something new. I bet you they got into those arguments and those questions back in Bible times too. I mean, after all, who is the greatest of all time when it comes to Hebrew history? Is it King David? Is it Abraham? Is it Elijah? Is it Joshua? Is it Isaiah? Or how about of the church? Is it Peter or Paul? Are you a Peter or Paul guy? Are you a John or a James guy. I mean, are you, you know, are you, you know, who do you fall in on? And you can make good arguments for all of those. But to the Jews, there was one name that stood above all others. And that name was Moses. He was the greatest of all time. Moses, through whom God gave the people of Israel freedom from slavery. Moses, through whom God worked plague and miracle. Moses, through whom the Lord instituted the Passover and saved the firstborn sons of Israel. Moses, who parted the Red Sea. Moses, through whom God revealed his name and to whom God showed himself. And Moses, through whom God gave his law and covenant. The writer of Hebrews even gives Moses a special place of honor in chapter 11, the Hebrew Hall of Fame in the book of Hebrews. So to these, to these new but beleaguered Christians, the author of Hebrews wanted to say, yes, Moses was great, but Jesus is the greatest of all time. And he wanted to make sure that they understood that because they were beginning to waver. 
They were beginning to fall back. They were beginning to wonder again, is he worth it? So first, the author of Hebrews wanted to make sure that they understood that he was not rejecting Moses, but rather he wanted to honor Moses. And even though Jesus is the greatest of all time, there is a similarity that unites them. And that similarity is faithfulness. Jesus who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful. To the Jews, Moses was the greatest of all time. He was the holder of all the school and team records. And I'm sure that there were some who, like the Pharisees in John 9, were saying, we know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, they were talking about Jesus. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know if we can trust him in the long term. We don't know if we can bet our lives on him. It seems a little crazy at this point. And we look back at Moses and, well, he's gotten us this far. Maybe we should stick with him now. And the author of Hebrews wants to honor that. He wants to honor that real fear. He wants to honor that history. Both Jesus and Moses were faithful leaders under the authority of God. Their authority, their truth, their power was real because it was the authority and the truth and power of God. And the author of Hebrews understood that. He honored that. But again, even though Moses was great, Jesus is the greatest of all time. And so having pointed out a similarity, he makes the case by pointing out two distinctions that make Jesus even greater than Moses. And he uses two different metaphors to describe these distinctions. First, he says that Jesus is greater than Moses because he is the builder and Moses is the house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. That's much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Now, what's the metaphor here? What he's saying is that Jesus is the creator. And Moses, as great as he is, is part of the creation. So creator over creation. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And that means that with the Holy Spirit, he and the Father are one. He is both the Son of Man and the Son of God. And that means that he is Lord of all things, and that he is in control. And anytime we begin to think that God has lost his grip, or more, more likely, anytime I try to seize the wheel from him, or anytime I try to live without him as though his mind doesn't matter, or that he is not in control, I find, find out the hard way that I am certainly not in control. But more importantly, when I try to seize the wheel or I try to jump out of the car, I find out just why I want him to be in control. Because he knows what I don't know. He sees what we cannot see. He understands situations that we can't understand. And he does exactly what must be done. And he does it not just for his glory, but for our good. So, to use a metaphor I used last week in the other service, he's not just the weatherman. He is the rainmaker. You know, so if he tells you to carry an umbrella, carry an umbrella. Because he doesn't just 
watch the weather, study the weather, predict the weather. He makes the weather. And this is a a huge statement, a magnanimous statement. It is a statement to understand and bring us into who Jesus really is. He knew things that Moses never could have understood. And he held authority that Moses never held. And Jesus even says that if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. So in summary of this point, what he's saying is, Jesus didn't just make the world a better place. Jesus made the world. And this is one thing that distinguishes him. The second distinction he points out is this. It's the distinction between son and servant. He wrote, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. If you look back into several of the Gospels, you'll see that one night after everyone, after everyone else had gone to sleep, Jesus peeled away three of his closest disciples and he took them up to a mountain and he said, come with me, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. He took them up to the top of a tall mountain and on top of that mountain in the crisp night air, God pulled back the curtain, and he showed Peter and James and John who Jesus really is. You see, they knew him as the carpenter of Nazareth. They knew him as the son of Mary and Joseph. They knew him as their teacher, their friend, their rabbi. They even knew him as an occasional miracle worker who had performed wonders that they could never have imagined. But that night, as the glory of God covered the mountain, the veil between heaven and earth was pulled back, and there he was, bright as lightning, beyond human reckoning, And standing there on either side of him were Elijah and Moses. And then there came a voice from the Lord. A voice came from the cloud that said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. I mean, there was Jesus standing with the two greatest figures of biblical history. And yet the Lord declared that as awesome as Moses is, and as awesome as Elijah is, Jesus does not stand as their equal or peer, but as the Son of God. Jesus was in exalted company. But God said, this is my Son. And he stands above even them. In the past, you listen to them. Now, listen to him. God showed them who he really is. He showed them who Jesus really is because they needed to know who Jesus really is. He wanted them to know that the Son of Man is also the Son of God. 
And yet, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be exploited, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Yes, we read last week that God has put all things under his feet. And yet, when we needed it most, he made himself less than the angels for our sake. He did it for us. When the time came to save his children, and this is the important distinction, God did not send a servant. God did not send an employee. God did not send a hired hand or stunt double. God sent his own flesh and blood. This is not just about hierarchy. This is about personal commitment. He sent his own son. God did not send anyone but a member of the family. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for, all, for us for all things, how will he not also graciously give us all things? And he did it for two reasons. He sent his own son, number one, to show us the high cost of our sin. And I'm not going to go into this now, but you've heard me say this before. Beloved, if we don't take sin seriously, then we'll never take grace seriously. So he did it, first of all, to show us just exactly what this was going to cost us, his own son. But he also did it to show and to prove what we are worth to him. He didn't just send somebody else. He didn't send somebody else's son. He sent his son. God did not make a servant do what he was not willing to do himself. The Son of God was the Son of Man, and he was the only person who was ever born who could do what needed to be done. He was the first to have the relationship with God that we're supposed to have and to be the kind of person God created us to be, to love God the way that we're supposed to love God and to love people the way that we're supposed to love people. You can't do that from a distance. You can't do that by sending a stand-in. You can't do that with a surrogate. You do that by doing it yourself, by coming in person. Now, why is this argument important? Why does the author of Hebrews make this case at the beginning of chapter 3? Because, again, we need to know who we can trust. It all comes back to that. And this week, it almost gets personal. He's saying, yes, I know that you know Moses. I know that he's your hero. I know that he's your guy. But Jesus is greater. Great 20th century commentator A.W. Pink wrote this. He said, the Hebrews were ever in danger of subordinating the future to the present and of forsaking, listen to this, the invisible Christ in heaven for the visible Judaism on earth, of giving up a profession which involved them in fierce persecution. In other words, they were always being tempted to give up the eternal for the immediate. 
If we make this compromise now, if we make this change now, if we just give in a little, it'll be a whole lot better. If we just come halfway back, just come back to Moses, we, we, we can kind of still love Jesus, but just, we'll just continue to be Jews because we know him. And the reason he makes this argument, and the reason we hear this argument is because the same can be said of us. We all fall under the tendency to trust the familiar, to trust the close, to trust the known, and to go with whatever or whomever is in front of our eyes. We go with our heroes. We go with the, the, biggest, the biggest name in the room. We go with whatever resource seems most present to us. But in this passage, the author is saying that Jesus is not just greater than angels. He is greater even than our heroes. No matter how famous or familiar and close by they are, as much as we love them, he is the greatest of all time. You may think, well, that was a big deal for them, but not for us. I want to, I want to run a little exercise with you. In verse 3, the author says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Go back and look at that, and I want you to put your thumb or your finger over the name Moses and fill it in with another name. Fill it in with whoever you think is the greatest of all time. Whoever you think you need to listen to above Jesus more than him, who loves you more, who has more wisdom, who has more knowledge. It's so easy to fill in that gap with somebody more present, something more easy to, to grasp. But he is calling us not to go back to that, not to go back to the familiar, not to go back to the way we've always done it, but to trust in him who has been given more glory. And he's making this case to them and he's making this case to us because he knows how hard it is for us to give up on the authority of our heroes, those we consider to be the goats. But Jesus is greater even than our heroes. Remember, he is the founder of our faith. And even though Jesus had universal authority and is in universal control 2,000 years ago, he set all of that aside to show us the importance of giving God control and authority in our lives, of putting him in the driver's seat. Christ came to earth and became lower than angels to show us what it means to trust God and to put him in control. And beloved, Jesus would not ask us to do anything that he has not done first. This passage, this book, the entire gospel is about trust. And what we see here is that Jesus wanted to prove that God could be trusted before he asked us to trust him. Before he ever asked us to obey, he showed us what it looks like to be obedient. Before he ever asked us to forgive anyone, he forgave. And before he commanded us to love our neighbors, neighbors and to love one another with everything we've got, he went all the way. 
And he demonstrates it not only as the, with the, by the power of the builder, the creator, but through the personal relationship of the son. So whom do you trust? Not just with the churchy stuff. Whom do you trust with relationship guidance or financial matters or professional challenges or personal crises? Whom do you trust in matters of morality, in matters of life and death, and especially in matters of eternal life? Whom do you trust when things are looking good and when things are falling apart? News, social media, an old college professor, a close friend, teachers, friends, the president, the Supreme Court, yourself. Who do you think deserves more honor than Jesus? None, because he is the greatest, the greatest of all time. And so here's the question. Are you betting your life on Jesus or on something else? Something less. Jesus is the builder who created the world and has the power to make a difference in your life, now and forever. And he is the son who proved that God is willing to give everything, even his own flesh and blood, for you. Jesus is the one who cares enough to get down into our lives, and he's the only one who's strong enough to pick us up. Do we trust Jesus over the familiar, over the immediate, over the compromises and temptations right in front of our eyes, the proximate over the eternal, the less over the more? Do we trust him, not just as the greatest of all time, but the greatest in our lives? Wait, that almost says goal with goat. I'll work on that one. <laughs> but the point is this. Be they famous or familiar as every day, Jesus loves us more than all the rest. That's why we should trust him. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, your word says that you are the greatest of our time, of all time. And we ask that you would be also the greatest in our lives. That you would help us, oh, Lord, to, to trust you when there are people and things that we feel like we can trust more. To invest ourselves in our identity with you and not just to make the marks and claim the prizes of others. We ask you, O oh Lord, to help us to see beyond our fears to your glory and beyond our pain to your healing. Help us to trust you and show us every day that you are the greatest of all time. 